Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Changemakers, the podcast series talking to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation. It can change the way we see things, reframe how we think and influence the information we go on to seek and share. This is all part of the change process. My guest today is Elizabeth Zion. Elizabeth is the youngest of my changemakers so far. At only 19, she's been using her voice for the last few years to talk about family reunification. We've heard, sadly, more and more over recent years about people seeking asylum or being displaced due to unrest in their home country. But we hear less about stories like Elizabeth's. And that's not because they're not happening. It's just not many have the power to use their voice in the way Elizabeth does. As you'll hear, her mother fled Nigeria while still pregnant with Elizabeth and with her four very young siblings. Her father was willing to come with them and support his family, but even as of recording this podcast, he's not been able to secure a visa application approval and they have had to make do with a visit every few years and phone contact. As you can imagine, this has had a massive emotional toll on the whole family, but also on their ability to truly settle here and to contribute fully to society. So even on an economic level, this doesn't make any sense. Elizabeth and her family have found themselves homeless and have been tested more than many. But ultimately, Elizabeth says she's grateful for the struggle which has taught her about what is important in life. And she's determined to speak up for people in situations like hers. In this podcast, Elizabeth talks a lot about the effects of a broken home on a child. And of course, we're living in a time now where the makeup of a family is so different. And that's not to say that if you grow up in a house with just one parent for a variety of reasons that you're going to face a tough time. But this is a very specific set of circumstances. Elizabeth and her family have spent almost 20 years trying to be together as a family. So have been stuck in a sort of limbo of sorts. We also touch on the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and it's defined obviously as a person under 18 years of age and it acknowledges the primary role of parents and family in the care and protection of children. And childhood, they say, is separate from adulthood. It's a special protected time in which children must be allowed to grow, learn, play, develop and flourish with dignity. The changes that Elizabeth is calling for is that this be put on the top of the priority list when you're looking at families and visa applications. I'll let her tell her story. So Elizabeth Zion, you're very welcome to Changemakers. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. If we're going to talk about your story, I think we probably have to go back and start with your mother's story. So what can you tell us about her? Um, So my mother 
came to Ireland in 2003 as an asylum seeker seeking refuge from religious persecution. She um, converted to Christianity and her family didn't appreciate that. And so she decided to seek asylum to escape that and also to create a better life for us. And you can imagine now with all the issues in Nigeria and the violence keeps descending uh, south that there's a really, really big um, appeal for people coming and, and, and leaving the nation as a result of all the religious persecution that goes on. There was just a massacre about a week ago um, that killed 50 people in a church in Ondo State, which is, in, which is where my dad's from, actually. Um, and so it's just becoming very, very apparent that Nigeria is becoming more insecure and more insecure and more insecure for people who um, are not Muslim. So she was feeling unsafe for a variety of reasons. Um, she was pregnant with you at mm. the time, is that right? Yes. And married to your dad. Yes. And is it three or four other? Uh, four siblings. Four siblings. So motherly instinct kicked in mm. and she knew there was something she had to do. Mm. But that meant coming just her and, and the children. Mm. Yeah, so um, she came with me and my little, little brother, older brother, sorry, I'm the youngest at the beginning and then my siblings were granted access to come two years later to join us um, in 2005 but she has been a single mom um, since I was born she's been taking care of me and my siblings on her own for for as long as I can remember um, so you settled in Galway. You were actually born in Clifton. You yeah. didn't even make it to yeah. the hospital. You made history in Clifton, didn't the, you? The funny, the funny thing is she was in, she wanted me to be born on my father's birthday. And so she was admitted into the hospital on that day, which is the 13th of July. And they, they were, she was in the hospital, I think. Actually, she was admitted on the 10th and she was in the hospital for three days, I believe. And she wasn't she wasn't I didn't want to come out apparently that was that was what happened and they said my mom said she has a my brother was being minded and she wanted to go back home and see him um, and the minute she got into the taxi and took the I think it was about two hours drive back to Cliff then was when I decided to come out um, so it was just she didn't want me to be born in the recreation center but I was um, I think that's just the plan that God had for me um, I had no say in it, obviously, <laughs> but it was it was um, unfortunate for her because of how long she spent in the hospital and how much she was wishing that I'd be born on my dad's birthday. But um, yeah, I just, God just made a way for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> and gave us a funny story. So and you made the papers and everything in Clifton. Oh yeah, because nobody is born in Clifton, at least at that time. They said nobody had been born there for about fifteen years, so I was the first one. Um, in after an extended period of time so yeah so you mentioned direct provision then so when your mom sought asylum this is where yourself and your family were placed yes. so what was the the setup like um so it was one room and it was a one bed and that we shared i cannot remember these details but my mom um has explained them to me um and yeah that was really what life was like and what age? So newborn baby, what age was your brother? Two. And then when the rest of your family came, your siblings? There were three of us, the other three of my siblings. Um, 
and then we were able to, um, she was granted residency here, so we were able to move away from the direct admission center um, to a two-bedroom apartment in Ongar in Dublin. Okay, so that was another big change. Yeah. After how long in direct provision? I think four years, two to four years, I think it's around that time. So very young children, or what age were your other siblings? Um, so my oldest sibling was, I think, 10 at the time. So five under 10, about <laughs> that, five kids under 10. And on her own, I mean, the plan was always to move as a family. She came first to protect mm-hmm. you guys mm-hmm. and have her baby somewhere mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. And the thought was always that your dad would follow. Is, is, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, it, would o- it was always that he would come with us. Um, and so once we settled down here and she gained residency and my siblings did as well, it was time for her to uh, apply and you know, appeal for him to gain that same status in Ireland. Um, but it just didn't work out as planned. Um, there was just so many issues with immigration um, and the visa applications that we did for him. And he was he was granted at that time. I think it was just a, a, a visa for a certain period of time that you were allowed to visit. But when it came to um, you know, getting a family reunification uh, visa, we just weren't able to achieve that. Um, and we haven't been able to, but we're in the process of doing one now so he can come and join us for my sister's wedding in September. Um, so we're still on the case, um, but we haven't heard back from the embassy since February. So we're just hoping and praying that we get a good response and we get um, what we're looking for, what we're praying for. And people will hear from your voice. You're a, you're an adult now, and your your sister's getting married. So this has been a a long, long road. Yeah. <laughs> when you put it like that, um, he's missed out on so much, you know. Um, and it, even if it's just for the one thing of his daughter and seeing her down the aisle would be. Not that it would bring all the years back, but it would make up for so much, you know. Um. And we're just looking to see um, to see unity in our family for the first time in a very long time. And we'll return to that in a moment because you've become quite a campaigner for the importance of family reunification. Um, and I know you've done a TED talk on it and, and, and that's one of the reasons I've invited you here today. But to go back a little bit to life moving back to Dublin, because people talk about this a lot and of course getting out of direct provision is what everybody wants and to be able to establish yourself in normal everyday life within a community and let your kids settle into a community is obviously the best case scenario Mm. but that can't be done without support it must have been very tough for your mom Mm. on her own with five children she's really a superhero you know um i just think about what she would tell me and she says that in the time when now that she's been without my father for such a long time that she said that she has depended on God as if he was her husband and as if he was the father um, of us and so she said that she'd drawn strength from him and always 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 seeing her rely on God um, when we had nothing else when we had no one else um, when you know, you're only just numbers in, in the public system that the government just is your case number and your, 
kids are case numbers and everything you are isn't represented accurately on a piece of paper. So when it comes to depending on someone to be there for you or to help you or to provide for you, she only had God to do that. Um, so that's what I've gained from her and, and looked at her strength is just that she wasn't able to do it alone, but she did it because she had God and she wasn't alone. Um, and so I always, I give so much um, honor to single parents who are doing this and honor to um, moms who are traveling across the world and who are trying to find um, a better home for their children, um, like maybe Kenyan refugees, for example, that are leaving their families, that are going to different nations, where they don't speak the language, and they're just looking to uh, settle down and give their children a better life, give themselves a better life. And it's really so honorable, so admirable, and um, I hope we can do as much as we can for those who have come to settle down here to reunite them with their families. Because the first step, as you say, is safety. That's the, the first priority, is mm -hmm. moving for safety but after that once safety is, is covered there's no immediate threat through either war or or, or yeah. otherwise there's a lot of more needs that a, mm -hmm. that a family and a, and a person mm -hmm. needs mm -hmm. and I'm not sure that they are necessarily being met mm -hmm. with the current system for everybody mm -hmm. what do you remember about life in Dublin do you remember anything about that time not really no I don't remember much but I do remember that we were um we were a lot in just two rooms. That's what I remember, that we were very, very, um, you know, together. Um, and obviously that there's lots of, you know, trying to put stuff in different corners of the house and, you know, uh, trying to create space out of thin air. Um, and also just lots of bonding, I suppose. There was just lots of togetherness. and. That was helpful as my mom had my older siblings to take care of us as well if need be, if she needed a break. Um, my older sisters did really step in and um, become almost like parents for us. I always I almost see my, my mom as retired now because my older sisters have really stepped in and begin to just mentor us and show us the ropes and, and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, she's done a wonderful job at raising us to the point where she can even take a step back um, and just um, be proud of the children that she's raised and, and that they're raising themselves almost um, and yeah yeah well I'm sure she's very proud of you and all of her kids what kind of contact would you have with your dad during that time um, so calls calls uh, phone calls would be and still are the the contact that I have with him is through telephoning him um, it can be difficult because network issues uh, interfere a lot in having proper conversations and just getting to speak with him for more than a few minutes. But phone calls and it's, it's always been like that. And he's so involved um, in every way that he can be. He's always asking me where I'm going, even though he has no idea where it is. Uh, asking who my friends are, even though he doesn't know them. Um, and he asks me about university even though he's not involved he doesn't know exactly what's going on but he's always asking me about about myself and he's always praying for me um always 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 praying for my success just wants to be as part of our lives as possible even though he's not there um physically which is so important so important to know that um despite the distance he still is trying to be the father that he really couldn't be um and that's the reason why um, 
really deserves to be here um, because children that grow up with our fathers they have so many um, types of, of disadvantages in, in life there's dropping out of school at a higher rate there's you know teen pregnancy at a higher rate there's dealing with their crime at a higher rate there's living in poverty at a higher rate um, so all of these things um, the government needs to factor when it comes to you know processing applications for family reunification is that it will have a negative effect on the people that you've already allowed to be in your society and then they'll grow up and now they'll become they'll become the thugs or the ones in prison or the ones on the streets or the ones um, that are you know neglecting their children and then we blame them for the decisions that they've made but it all stems from the root cause of not having a good upbringing um, but the, you know the government needs to you know find the root cause and the root issue before it gets to the point where they start blaming adults who are just broken children you know um, and that's I think a social issue that's not talked about enough um, the effects of not having a good upbringing a good family home of not having one parent here because of this issue or that issue where when it can be fixed when it doesn't have to be that way um, the government needs to put that into consideration um, so much more with, with how they make policies and, and so on and so forth yeah and we, we do talk about absent fathers or absent parents it usually seems to fall to to fathers and and how much of a negative impact that can have and how difficult that is for the family but when you have a father that wants to be involved and can't that makes it even more frustrating did any of the new technologies help the skype or the the facetime was there any sort of budget for visits there um, so we only started visiting um in 2013 when my siblings gained their citizenship um, in Ireland um, and we tried to go back every now and again because it can be very expensive to you know afford I think six <laughs> um, flight tickets internationally um, so we try and see him every now and again but maybe once every two years or maybe even longer um, my brothers hadn't seen him in five years um, just recently so that would be an option sometimes and other times most times it would just be to try and whatsapp whatsapp video call him or voice call um but it would just always be subject to network and then if they would allow you to, if it would allow you to have a proper conversation without reconnecting or without the call failing or you know things like that happening just signal issues and network issues is just a really big barrier to communication um, with him because of the state of the telecom um, industry in Nigeria so yeah and obviously it's not a substitute for face-to-face -face living with the support of your dad of course not every day of course um, it was tough for your mom with five children obviously there were certain supports there but that's not enough and to try and get five kids looked after to go to work that was obviously very tricky mm -hmm. So you fell into a situation where you became homeless. Tell us a little bit about that experience. 
um, our landlord was expanding this family and needed a bigger house as a result of that and so I needed more money as a result of that so he told us that he was putting up the house that we were renting for sale and that we had three months to vacate um, and so we spent those three months looking around um, Dublin and going to different house viewings after school my mom would pick me and my brothers up and we would go and we would go here and there a couple in one day in many in, in, in a day sometimes um, but we just didn't get um, a place and we didn't have anywhere else to go so we were uh, forced to become homeless as a result um, I don't think many renters in Dublin would want such a big family or want to, to accept the HAP scheme and all these other things that you know led to us um, not getting a place but that was the reason why um, just you know not finding a place at the time and many people are still struggling with that now the housing crisis in Dublin is becoming increasingly and increasingly more difficult um, to navigate so yeah, that's that's basically what caused that. And you were a teenager at that point. So what do you remember? You were placed in emergency accommodation in a in a hostel, which again is not adequate for a family at all. Yeah, I was fourteen at the time. I was two months away from doing my junior cert. Um and I told no one because I really thought that we would find a place by that time but we didn't and I still told no one because of the shame that seemed to envelop me and overwhelm me um, as we spent more time in the B&B without any hope of getting a place or or leaving like I said we were just numbers in in the system you know and we were just at the whim and mercy of the government um, and it was difficult I remember the first night we spent there I said that um, I wanted to you know clean up the room and make sure things were looking okay but it was just an excuse for me to cry on my own um, as I was packing things away and it was just such an uncertain time but my siblings and I were able to bond a lot more and mourn with each other Although it was very difficult, there was lots of tears and lots of prayer. And now we're now we're now we're reflecting um, on all the things that that have happened in the past, and we're thankful for them instead of annoyed about them or angry about them or asking why us and why not why not them. Um, we're thankful for them, and it's funny because a lot of the things that I've experienced as a result um, or as a result of being homeless a lot of um, even this now um, even this 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 interview now is really leads back to spending that time in in that hostel for that length of time and that's why I'm so thankful for the experience actually because of how much it has brought me 
um, how much goodness it has brought me, how many blessings it has brought me. And I would have never known um, that I would be thanking God for giving me a struggle at the end of it all, when I was so broken and so dejected and so miserable for being in that, for being put in that place. But now I see what he was trying to do. And now I get to share and hopefully help people or encourage them in the situations that they're going through, that it does get better. Um, and that there is a space for you in the world. And there's a space for your voice in the world. And there's um, people that are willing to listen to you. And that there is change that you can make in either your community or further afield. Um, and so it was difficult. But the struggles are really what define not define me, but they really have brought out my character. They really have, um, you know, developed me in, in ways that different things could not, in the ways that, I guess, structure and security and all of those things can't. It's, it kind of makes you, it kind of forces you to um, reveal yourself, I suppose, and you just become who you are and you make the decisions to be what you want to be when you're forced to either be happy about something that's not good or to be sad about something that's not good um, you kind of just have to make a choice about who you want to be um, in that situation um, and it's a daily thing it's, will I be mad about it today or will I find something to make me happy will I be annoyed that we're still here after two months and I find something to make me happy when I'm mad that I'm spending my birthday in this situation or will I find something that will make me happy um, and it just you just choose um, how you want to to be um, and you don't get that sort of force and push anywhere else at least I've never experienced it anywhere else than, than there and it's almost it's almost subconscious sometimes as well. Um. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I really appreciate you revisiting times that were obviously traumas and yes you know you've come out the other side stronger and, and more resilient 
and more than revealed yourself. Um, and I think that's really admirable. So thank you for revisiting tough times and talking so openly and honestly about it. How long did it go on for? When did it come to an end? Um, so we were homeless for seven months, but it just, it, we didn't know if it would be that long or if it would be longer. Um, and many people that we were in the B&B with, they'd been there for a year or two years. So. And where did you get to, to settle then? Did you get a, a, a suitable family home? Yeah, we were, we moved into a new home in Lust in County Dublin. I think that was the seventh or eighth time that we moved. Um, the last time was a family. Um, but yeah, we were able to get a new a, a place in Lusk and that's where we call home now. Um, and it, Lusk is wonderful. It's very quiet and sweet and there's lots of children in my estate that I try and befriend and <laughs> teach them how to read. <laughs> but yeah, it's a lovely neighborhood. And um, and I'm glad that we've been placed there. And when did the TED Talk come up? Um, the TED Talk came up last, I think it was last August. Um, but it came up because I was working with UNICEF. Um, and I got a message from UNICEF Ireland after... I did a video on RTE in April of that year, last year, and they just wanted me to be a member of their Global Youth Advisory Board, which is wonderful because I've always wanted, always, always wanted to work for um, an organization like UNICEF that does so much amazing work in the world um, for children. Um, and they just, and while we were preparing for the event, it was an event, um, I got a phone call from the lady that said that people from TED they were doing a partnership with them for the event the global youth global children's and youth forum in December and that they looked through a, a series of you know young advocates um, their stories and they wanted to do a TED talk with five people and that they chose me and it really surprised me because of how many amazing and more riveting and more inspiring stories that they could have chosen, but they chose mine. Um, and they just said, you could talk about anything you wanted to talk about. And at that time we were, you know, looking to apply for my dad's application, uh, for my dad's visa again. Um, and so I chose to do World Family Unification because that is a topic that I don't think is talked about very much but comes up whenever there's a huge refugee crisis or a huge crisis that causes mass migration the family unification should be at the forefront but also for people who have just settled and not been able to um, get um, the unification that the unification that they deserve um, so it just seemed like a topic that I could fully and wholeheartedly support but was also something that I related with and something that just is so much more relevant as the years go by and as things keep happening in the world where it was Afghanistan last year and now it's Ukraine this year. I don't want it to be anything next year, but you know, there's so many, um, there's so much um, issues in the world that are causing mass migration and family breakup that needs to be talked about, that needs to be more um, widespread and more widespread information. What might a widespread priority for policy and, and things like that. And where does it start? Why don't families 
leave together? Do you need to get the right paperwork to leave the country in the first place? And is that the first stop lots of fathers are given? And then they think they'll be able to sort it out. Oftentimes it's not having enough money to move 100% away with your family. And sometimes it's one person has to stay behind and, you know, gather resources or fix things up or, you know, man whatever they still have over there in that nation. Continue there's to work and so send ma- money. There's so many things that, that you know, cause families to, to move apart separately. And, um, you know, in Ukraine, uh, for example, a lot of fathers are working. They're on the front line. They're, you know, sacrificing their lives. And, you know, the women and the children, they have to leave and they have to go. Um, so there are so many reasons why families don't uh, emigrate together. Um, but if it's not because they don't want to, though, it's always because there's something, you know, so there's an issue there that's causing um, a breakup. Um, it's just hoping that on upon arrival with the host country that they'd be able to you know, be reunified. Um, but, you know, that's why we're, it's why it's important that governments are trying um, to do that, that they're not just as lovely as it is to allow, um, you know, refugees to come in, but also to, I guess, see the fruit of the labor of allowing them to come in, of, you know, giving them resources, of giving them accommodation is to make sure that they grow up and become well-functioning members of society is that they have a well-rounded uh, childhood and upbringing where, you know, they can, they have, I guess, the advantage of a stable home where they can really grow and develop into great and to do great things and not, you know, be victims to their circumstances or be shaped by, um, you know, having a broken home. Um, that ends up being a burden on the government at the end of the day if people aren't going to prison or there's drugs, uh, there's a drug epidemic if there's, um, you know, people are dropping out of school and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think it's such an important point. And uh, it's one of the lessons we seem to have hopefully learned from direct provision that just providing somebody with a shell to live in so that they're not in immediate danger is just not enough people need to be given the support and the foundation as you say to go on to do great things and they need that stability and safety mm-hmm. to do so mm-hmm. and talk to me about the un convention on human rights and the, the rights of a, a child to be with their family and be with their parents um so article 9 in the uncrc states that children um have a right to be reunited with their families um unless this can cause them harm but in my situation it's not going to cause me harm and in, in many situations it's not going to cause them harm if the parents are loving parents who want to support their children and raise them right and um, care for them then you know it, it's something that every child is entitled to and has a right to and so there are so many um, appeals to family unification because it's necessary that children are raised in families with love that when they can be it's necessary that children does have a good upbringing because they didn't ask to be born and brought into this world to be brought into a, a broken home or where there's you know socioeconomic issues because the father and the mother are not together working or you know and providing for themselves and, and you know creating an economic economic um, upliftment for themselves. Children didn't ask you know ask for this this kind of life that they come to live, and if governments can um, work on creating policies that are reuniting families who. Um, want to be together raising their children they should do all they can to do that and how have you felt with your story getting out there as you said there was a lot you kind of 
kept a secret about what was going on in in your life so with a ted talk and i know you've written some some articles for some of the, the main newspapers how does that feel to to bear your soul in that way and obviously i'm asking you to do it again here i'm thankful that i get to do it i'm thankful that i have things to share i'm grateful that that there's a space for me to do that because that's what I've always wanted to do. It can be really difficult to put yourself out there, to go for interviews and blabble and waffle and go on and on and be scared of saying the right things or not saying the right things and all the hate mail that you get. <laughs> that's very discouraging, but um, all, the, all the love that you get and all the stories of how you're inspiring people to view their situation in a better way, that people are now um, not allowing their circumstances to define them and are seeing the good in, in where they are. It's such a reward and I'm so grateful for it. And it, it just really blows my mind how I'm able to sit here with you and share these things just because I went through a couple of things, you know. Um, it, just, it just blows my mind that, that a place has been made for me to speak and to share and to be vulnerable. And I think more people should do it. More people should should be as vulnerable as possible as honest as possible about what they went through because people have expressed themselves to me people have shared their stories with me and it inspires me so much and it makes me want to make changes and it makes me want to do things differently and it makes me want to you know carry myself in a different way and so people sharing their stories with me has been so impactful so being able to do that and hopefully you know, inspire some people or encourage them in their situation. It's such a blessing and such a gift. I'm glad I get to do that despite the hate comments, despite, despite the really long emails that I get um, of people telling me that I'm this, this, that, and the other, but the greatest gifts in life can come from your greatest pains and your greatest struggles. And, and that's why it's worth sharing. Oh, I think we need to have these conversations. We need to hear these stories. Otherwise, we'll never bring about real and, and lasting change. This is how we we learn and, and we grow. And you took yourself off social media. Is that because of this hate that you're talking about? Or was this a more personal decision? No, it was just a personal decision. Um, so I just deleted it one night. Um, I think it was like 1 a.m. in the morning. And I had like unread messages that I just left and just deleted everything and i don't even i can't even remember how life was like on social media i can't really remember how i spent my time now that i have all this free time that i'm spending you know naturally and normally but it's just been so important for my development and my growth to have left social media when i did um that was when i was 16 i was going just finished my leaving cert or that was the year um, it was just so important for me because social media, they, there's so much um, 
uniformity of thought and opinion and as a young person you don't get a chance to develop who you are very well um, while you're being bombarded by the online world about how to look what to say how to behave how to act what to support all of these things because now i see myself and i realize that i was so insecure i had such low self-esteem i was afraid of sharing what i believed and all of these things because of social media and i just wasn't really becoming who i was meant to be and that age is that age where you do become where you start to become where you start to think about what you believe in what you when you start to um you know identify with certain things when you start to just be you know grow into yourself and social media was really stunting my growth in so many ways um there's so many things that you see that, that you're not supposed to see and you're so young and you're so you know um, malleable and you're so in like easy to influence it just wasn't good for me to be on that space and I'm so glad that I was able to listen and just to remove myself from it and develop and become who I am and you know and that's that's wonderful and it's so commendable because I think I've had that message many times that mm. there's better for me than than scrolling so mm. to actually do it and make it happen is a very strong and, and bold move that's been a very positive one for you and you mentioned college there you're doing politics international relations and social justice mm. um in ucd and it's no surprise we can circle back to where that came from are you hoping to learn more to understand more to be able to push for actual change with your qualification of course that's the reason why um that's the reason why i want to do well, I'm doing social justice, or I'm doing politics. Um, this, but there's actually a particular moment um, that I realized this is what I was going to do. Um, we were in Nigeria a couple of years ago, and I was sick. I had gotten a virus, and I was having trouble tasting food. Um, and my sinuses were blocked and everything was going wrong. And we decided to go and get some very hot food to try and open open up my sinuses but on the way there we were stuck in traffic which is very usual in Nigeria <laughs> lots of traffic and then there was a little girl that came up to our window and she had put her hand on the glass she's about five years old and she was begging for money and just her face the look in her eyes and the sounds that she was making and how tired she looked. It just broke my heart, it broke my heart. And I was looking to give her something and I tried to get the car window down, but the light turned green and we weren't able to, I wasn't able to help her. And I just began to weep because she could die doing this. The roads in Nigeria are dangerous. It's dangerous to be so young on such such roads but she would rather she would rather do that to survive than to be hungry and I don't know who she is and she doesn't know who I am but everything about that moment and our encounter 
has stayed with me. And she is the reason why I'm studying what I study. Because she deserves so much better than what she has to do today. She should be in school. She should be developing her talents. She should be flourishing and getting the proper advice and guidance. Like I got in school, but she was there crossing dangerous routes just to get somewhere. And you're right, sometimes I know the light went green, but it's also a metaphor. Sometimes we can't help every single person, but through speaking out like you have, through studying like you are to push for systemic change, that's where we can help all of the people in a, in a bigger way. And I have no doubt you will go on to continue to become even more of a change maker than you have been already. You've so much heart um so much spirit and so much intelligence that i have every faith that you will bring about change and turn what were really tough tough experiences into a reason that other people won't go through the same elizabeth zion thank you so so much for talking to me thank you for having me it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.